Well, sunny beaches of South Florida, is that you? Hello! Oh my gosh! How in the heck are you? You look amazing today. It is so good to see you again. Come on in and have a seat. Follow us or subscribe or whatever it is your medium requires and stay a while. We'd love to have you as part of our family. Say, while you're here, can I get you something to think today? Near the end of the 19th century, mountain lions were quite plentiful in the mountains of southern Utah. For ranchers and farmers, it was a challenge to protect their livestock from these big cats. The more out-of-the-way ranchers were often invaded by these wild creatures. To capture one alive was not a common occurrence. Usually when folks went after a lion, they either lost him or brought him back dead. Lions were the enemies, and ranchers and farmers felt that when it came to survival, it was either them or the lions. Of course, they had an advantage with dogs and guns. I think nearly every rancher or farmer lost some of their smaller stock to these hungry lions. The cougar is such a stealthy, cunning killer. He moves so graceful and quiet that he can get close to his kill before they even know he's near unless somehow his victims can catch his odor. The family will never forget the day when one of these magnificent creatures was brought back alive. Hello, I'm Alfred Randall Meeks. Most people just call me Alfred. I was born on the 13th of May, 1877 in Harrisburg, Utah, to Dr. Pretty and Mary Jane Meeks. Who's this with me here? This is my older brother, Heber. Well, one of my older brothers. Mother had six boys and five girls in a 20-year span of bearing children. Truth be known, I'm her favorite, her pride and joy. In 1897, I was 20 years old, and we were living in a small community in southern Utah. One morning... We got word that a neighbor had lost some sheep the night before, when a cougar had slipped into the yard and killed them. The ranch was not far from the edge of town. It seemed the cougar had moved in near midnight, jumped the fence, and attacked the sheep. In a corral, the animals have very little room to escape their attackers, so they are easy prey for these such deeds. The domesticated kills are when we begin to have an actionable disagreement with these big putty tats. This proved to be one of my most memorable disagreements. When we heard of the trouble, I suggested to my brother Heber that we go after the lion and capture him alive. Heber thought, Have you lost your mind? How came you so? Which is our way of saying you tipsy. Have you been binging on sorghum sweet? I think them bedbugs have been crawling into your ears at night and have overtaken your brain. Your ideas are as crazy as a mountain goat. This wake snake idea is too high for this nut. But I ain't about to let you go out on your own and become that cat's next meal. You wouldn't make more than an appetizer. But I sure as shooting will not be going on this wild cat chase without my rifle. You know what, little brother? 
if you can catch that cat and contained and alive, we would both be some pumpkins in this here patch. But if he makes one wrong move, I will not hesitate to protect you, myself, or the dogs. If something happens to one of us, we're going to have to tell a thumper to cover it up. I ain't about to tell your chuckaboo Linda that you was catnabbed. And just for the record, I still think you're crazier than a gunny sack full of rabid raccoons. Um, thank you? I think. I knew you were my favorite brother. Don't tell the others, okay? Now, you might think to yourself, what's the harm of a mountain lion killing a sheep or a deer or a calf every once in a while? My family can live off of a bee for a couple of sheep in the freezer for a year plus. Well, you might be as shocked as I was to find out how finicky these big cats are with fresh meat and lots of it. Did you know that male mountain lions can reach up to nine feet in length from nose to tail? And they weigh up to 200 pounds. According to an article in the Billings Gazette, these mountain lions kill on average one ungulate a week with a range of about 18 to 41 pounds consumed a day. Now, ungulates are hoofed animals like deer, elk, moose. But lions' meals also include domesticated livestock like sheep, cattle, goats, and horses. They don't care what the animal is. Lions are not scavengers. They believe in eating only the freshest of foods, which means that they don't believe in keeping leftovers for more than a day or two. Today's terms would label this as a raw foodism diet. Well, this carnivorous rawism diet equates to a combination of between 50 and 60 deer, goats, sheep, calves, or elk every year. Not to mention the smaller animals they eat in between, like rabbits, dogs, squirrels, coyotes, whatever. Well, we hurriedly saddled our horses. We grabbed a number of ropes and called the dogs. Uh, Mother, we're going after that lion. Be careful, boys. I'm Heber. Don't let Alfred be doing nothing foolish. I'm sure Mother didn't realize that we were going to try to bring him back alive. Or she might have said something else. We were both young men. Heber was in his late 20s and I was almost 20. So Mother trusted us. Mostly. I had been on many of these chases and it had always bothered me to see these beautiful animals killed, even though they were our enemies. I just felt sure I could capture this one alive. We rode over to the neighbor's farm, and the dogs soon picked up the cougar scent. I was on old Dick, and he was riding our new horse, Brownie. He was young and lively, and of course, as Heber was the older of the two, he took the best horse. At least that's what Heber thought. You see, Dick was about as old as I was. He was gentle and nice to ride. Sometimes Mother and the girls rode him because he was so dependable. And certainly not not as nervous a horse like Brownie. I had ridden old Dick since I was old enough to stay on his back, and I considered him mine. They started after the dogs. As long as they could hear him bark and beller, they could follow easily. They rode 
up the main canyon for a ways where the Cougar tracks turned southeast up a ridge. The trail led down into the next ravine and up the next hill. Up and down they went. When they were down in the low places, they couldn't hear the dogs, but when they topped the ridges on the other side, they could hear them ahead, so they kept following. The boys knew them dogs would tree him sooner or later or lose his trail and eventually come back. The terrain was rough but beautiful. Small spruce trees mixed with pinyon pines dotted the landscape. It was broken up by a few pinkish-white ledges. They figured it was a natural habitat for cougars. They felt sure that the cat had a cave in his den somewhere among those beautiful craggy rocks. And they were also sure he would not lead them there. Well, they kept going up and down those hills and ravines as fast as the horses could travel. As I rode, I couldn't help but remember some of Father's tales of chasing mountain lions. I wished he could have been there with us on this hunt, but he had died when I was a little lad, so I had done most of my hunting with my older brothers. About nine o'clock, we stopped our horses on top of a ridge and listened for the dogs. They sounded louder than usual. We looked across the high plateau and decided the dogs had the cougar up a tree somewhere in that maze of green. That was good. The dogs would probably keep him there till we could find them. We jogged on between the trees, listening carefully. The barking got louder with each step. Soon, we spotted them circling a big pine. Brownie snorted and stopped. The horses fear cougars and don't like to get too close to them. The brothers dismounted and grabbed all the ropes. Alfred took his lariat and hurried over to the tree. And there it was. About halfway up the tree, sitting on a big strong limb, was the mountain lion. He was just laying there, watching the dogs. Almost looked to be half asleep because his long tail was confidently wagging back and forth, as though he had nothing to worry about. Well, the dogs kept barking and jumping up the tree, only to fall back again. Once in a while, the cat would spit at him and growl in that low rumble in his throat. His aura of safety changed quickly to a look of uneasiness when Alfred walked into view. While Alfred stood there analyzing the task and mapping out the route he was going to take to climb into that tree and above that big tom, Heber walked up to him with his rifle ready. You're going to lasso him. Brother, you are sure asking for a whooping from that lion. Uh, I sure intend to. I'm going up that tree with my lasso rope until I get above him. You stay down here with yours and these small ropes. You'll need to use some of them when I let him down. What are you going to do? Just reach down, pat him on the head, and tame him right there? I suppose you could tell him you're his friend and pick him up in your arms and hand him down to me. That way he wouldn't be afraid. <laughs> I think I can get above him, or he can't reach me. And then I'll drop my loop over his head. Why don't you just ask him to put the rope over his head by himself? Now listen, Heber. You do what I tell you, and we'll capture him alive. I'll drop the loop over his head while he's watching you and the dogs. Just be ready with your rope. Wrap it around his hind feet 
when he's hanging down. It would be easier to shoot him. No, no, I want him alive. Here's my plan. By the time he reaches you, he'll be choked down with little fight left. You tie his hind feet together tight and stretch him out. Tie your rope to a tree when he's still. I'll drop my rope and you can tie him to the big tree to keep him stretched out. As soon as you can, put a gag in his mouth. Little brother, you are one bricky son of a motherless goat. If that cougar is going to be gagged, you're going to do it. I'll hold the ropes on the other side of the tree. Ow, all right. You keep him stretched out until I climb down. I'll hurry. Now don't forget the dogs. Make them stay away from him when he hits the ground, or they will tear him apart while he's unconscious. I want him alive and healthy. He better be out cold when you let him down. I swear I'll shoot him if he makes a move. I'm not going to be down here wrestling with the mad cougar while you sit up there on a limb laughing at me. (laughs) Alfred had to grin at Heber's remarks as he thought of what a circus it could be if the cougar regained consciousness before he could get down and gag him. It would be quite a sight to see Heber trying to outrun an angry cougar around a tree with two dogs chasing him and the cat, barking their heads off. That would be a sight to see, but too dangerous. He'd be sure the cat was unconscious before Heber puts the rope around his hind feet. Alfred put the coiled lasso rope over his head across his body to secure it for the climb. He kept a close watch of the cougar while he climbed and made sure the trunk of the tree was between them. When he reached a good strong limb above the lion, Alfred stopped to figure out the best place to be when he lassoed him. He would have to wrap the rope around a sturdy limb, somewhere to dally up, uh, to jerk him off his balance and then gradually lower him to the ground. After Alfred got to the prime location and braced himself, he readied to throw the loop. The first throw hit the cat on the nose, and he struck at the rope with one of his front paws. Well, this distraction caught him off guard, and he almost lost his balance and fell. He hung on a lot tighter after that. The third time he threw, the loop landed smoothly around his neck. The cat then growled and hissed at him. Carefully, Alfred tightened the rope and wrapped the loose end around the limb above him. As he pulled the rope with one hand and tightened it around the limb above with the other hand, the cat began to growl increasingly. Each pull he gave secured the rope a little more firmly around his neck, and he began to pull him off balance. Well, that cat resisted with all of his strength and all of his power, but finally he couldn't hang on any longer, and he slid off the limb, taking with him bark and any small branches that he could grab onto. He threshed with all his might, but he couldn't gain any footing. Everything he could reach was slashed. Those legs and feet are so very powerful and dangerous. I began to lower him slowly, and he kept fighting. The Heber could see the struggle, and he picked up his rifle with his rope. I didn't blame him, as I began to wonder if my rope was strong enough to hold 150 to 200 pounds of fighting fury sliding lower and lower toward him. As I cautiously lowered the cougar, he struggled less and less, and by the time he reached the lower limbs, he had quit. Heber reached up and hit his back legs with his hat, and there was no response. Tie those back feet quickly, Heber! Got it! I'm just going to anchor this around the tree so we can stretch him out. Is he out? I think so. All right, then. I'll drop my rope 
but keep the dogs back. I'll be right down. I knew I had to act quickly, or the cougar would either get up and fight, or he would be dead. I shimmied down that tree in record time. I grabbed a small stick and put it in his mouth as a gag. Then I wrapped a small rope around and around his jaws and the stick. Well, this is when Alfred gave his lasso some slack and tied it in a knot that wouldn't slip. Next, he took another small rope and tied the cat's front feet up under his chin. And then he tied his back feet up close to them. Can you imagine it? Hog-tying a mountain lion. Well, then the brothers stepped back in the shade and waited. Alfred really hoped he hadn't choked him to death. He didn't want to do that. All the time they were tying up the cat, the dogs kept barking and dashing in close to the cougar. Well, they kept yelling at him to get back, get back. They didn't want to tie the hounds up until they had all the ropes secure. They knew that if the cougar should make a break for freedom and really get loose, that it was best to have the dogs handy so they could attack him and draw him away from them. Well, that should do it, little brother. Yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. C come here, girls. Oh, you did so good. Now let's tie you up and let this Tom catch his breath. Well, looky there, Alfred. Your kitty cat's eyes are opening. Good. Wake up, old boy. I want you alive. No, no use. No use. I know you're strong, but not strong enough to break those ropes. I, I hope. Ah, he has such a beautiful tawny cream-colored coat. It's glistening. Well, I, I guess he's been eating pretty well. No doubt about that. Isn't he a beauty? Yeah, he's a beautiful color if you look at him that way. But I see him as a cold-blooded killer and robber. Oh, they have to eat, Heber. I suppose so, but why can't they eat the wild animals and leave the ones in the corrals alone? Now that you have him, what are you going to do with him? Hmm. I take him to town and give him to the government trapper. I hope he can send him to some zoo. That would be better than killing him, wouldn't it? I don't know. Maybe so. But how are you going to get him to town? Are you going to carry him on your shoulders? I'm sure I'm not. I don't think you're going to load him on any horse we got. Oh, yes, we are. We're going to load him across my saddle on old Dick, and I'll ride behind. We'll take him to town that way. And just how are you going to do that trick? I'll show you. Get your slicker off your saddle and tie it over Dick's eyes. I'll put mine over the cougar, then we can lift him on the saddle from the back. I'll tie Dick up so he can't move very much. Remember, I've carried many a calf and sheep on him besides a lot of deer. Come on, let's try it. All right, you dreamer. Well, you know what? They covered Dick's eyes and laid Alfred's coat over the cat. They lifted the cat up and carefully placed him on the saddle. Old Dick never moved. They untied the cougar's hind feet from his head and slid the rope under Dick's belly. Alfred turned the cougar on his belly across the saddle and grabbed the rope from his hind feet and tied it tight to his head again.
There, see how easy? Now I'll get up behind the saddle and you untie Dick and hand me the reins. Come on, boy. Let's go home. Wouldn't you know it, old Dick started off like he had done so many times before, with livestock, and he never even looked back. By mid-afternoon, those brothers were riding down the main street of that little town, with that trophy Tom being the main attraction. Boy, word spread like wildfire, and it seemed like every person in town came to see that big lion. Even Mother Mary Jane came to see. Alfred was afraid of that. She stood there right in front of him with her hands on her hips. Alfred didn't say a word, and neither did Heber for a few minutes. Uh, how do you like our new pet, Mother? Mother never looked at Heber. She suspected all along it was Alfred's idea to take that cougar alive. She just stared from that live animal to Alfred and back to the animal. Did anyone get hurt? No, no, Mother. No one got hurt. Well, we can thank the good lad for that. But I ye wonder what crazy thing you'll do next. Probably try to rope a bear. Mother was near prophetic on that point. It seemed that years later, Alfred was, well, he was treed by a bear. It was most likely an American black bear. The black bear is still prevalent in the mountains of southern Utah. So, what happened? Well, according to oral and written accounts of the event told by Alfred's nephews and nieces, Alfred was caring for a large herd of sheep on Cedar Mountain in southern Utah, now part of the Dixie National Forest. And during his duties that day, he was hiking to the top of a ridge. As he topped over the backbone of the ridge, he came face to face with a black bear. Now, surprising a bear is almost always going to result in an attack. It's just how wild animals of that nature react. And this meet and greet was no different. The bear immediately took after Alfred. You know, for just about all of us, in the heat of the moment, it's so difficult to remember what not to do in situations like that. We do know that Alfred involuntarily violated the top two rules of engagement with bears. Number one, do not run. Easier said than done. The American black bear can weigh up to 300 pounds and run up to 35 miles per hour. It's not a matter of can you outrun them. They will outrun you. Your only saving grace would be having another person with you that is slightly slower. <laughs> only in this scenario, Alfred was a one-man show and looking to be a one-course meal. And then there's rule number two. Don't climb a tree. Black bears are natural tree climbers. Climbing a tree is a bad idea. It's advised that you stand your ground and back away calmly. You can pee yourself if you have to. Just stand your ground. Well, Alfred's niece, Florence Lamb, recalled after they got rid of the bear that Uncle Alfred could not run and jump as far as each stride he was taking while being chased by the bear, nor could he again climb the tree he was in. And for the record, it is not clear whether or not Alfred Randall Meeks actually attempted to rope the bear, as Mother Mary Jane Meeks had predicted. 
So why am I telling you these stories? Well, here are my takeaways. All of God's creatures deserve respect, even the smallest turtles. The random Franklins of this world need love too. Compassionate hearts towards creation can elicit tender, miraculous moments, and we are changed. As Niccolo Machiavelli said, All courses of action are risky, so prudence is not in avoiding danger. It's impossible. But calculating risk and acting decisively. Make mistakes of ambition and not mistakes of sloth. Develop the strength to do bold things and not the strength to suffer. What things are we trying to capture in life? Do we have behaviors or habits that need restrained and relocated? Are we the captor or the bound and captured? Rehoming is a thing. All of us need rehoming at one time or another in our lives, sometimes by choice, sometimes by circumstances. Death will rehome all of us. Things in life are going to hit the fan. Sometimes we throw it, sometimes it throws us. Siblings stick together through some pretty reckless stuff. When your brother decides to do something stupid, make sure somebody goes with him. And mothers will worry and fret. It's their job. Honor that. Respect that. Expect that. Thank you for listening to the Feeling Your Oats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Growing listeners will allow complete focus on content. Once again, I am just randomly being me. Until next time, remember, when your why is clear, your how is easy. And hey, we'll see you in the spring if the water's clear. Well, dad blasted, I sure enjoyed the visit today. If you gained something from it, be kind enough to follow us and leave a review. And do it right now. If you would, it'd sure be appreciated. Your comments have been so considerate and honestly left me blushing. And good night, those reviews make a big difference in the program's visibility. On the Apple platforms, you select the Go to Show option. And then click the circle plus sign at the top right to follow. Then scroll down below the episodes to leave some stars and a review. Them algorithms need all the help they can get so as I can disrupt more good folks like you. So I tell you what, if you got a friend or three that you just don't like very much, well, share this podcast with them and let us bug them for a while. And if you have comments or suggestions for future discussions, well, don't just keep them to yourself. We, we, we'd love to hear from you. You can DM us on our Instagrams at fyo.podcast. And thank you. Are you still there? Remember to download the Family Tree app and see how you are related to the people from today's episode. All those links will be included in the show notes. Sometimes it's important to look a gift horse in the mouth. Your gift is your ancestry. Your superpower is their family history stories that make you. Not a one of us crawled out from under a rock, regardless of what you've been told. You have 4,094 grandparents, over 12 generations, 
with thousands of love stories, battles, difficulties, sadness, happiness, and expressions of hope for the future that allows you to be here today. We are the culmination of so many things we did not choose. It was designed that way. So be gentle with yourself and others. Take the time to learn yourself through your family history stories. There are innumerable tributaries flowing into the life experience that deceptively seems to be your own, but it's not. So think about that as you row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Russell M. Nelson stated, When our hearts turn to our ancestors, something changes inside us. We feel part of something greater than ourselves. (laughs) I concur. Thank you for joining me on another unbelievably true adventure. Find your family history superpower and activate it. Until the next time, bye.